You're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 of Commentary Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm Goldie Hawn. And today we are going to take a look at uh, Nicholas Meyer's career as a director on the whole, recapping all of his movies, which we have just covered over the past couple months. So um, before we get started, here's an interesting little fact which I just learned this very instant. Nicholas Meyer was born on Christmas Eve 1945 in New York City. Yeah. Very next day, Christmas Day, 1945, in the same city. A child was born? Another child was born. On Christmas Day? Mm-hmm. Well, obviously that's Jesus. Rick Berman. I was pretty close. All right, so uh, what we're going to do is look at each of his movies. We'll just go through, give our opinion, and then uh, recap his career on the whole. Yep. Um, his first movie was 1979 after the a few of his books had been written and was, a few of his movies had been written. It was released in 1979. It was released in 1979. It wasn't called 1979. No, it was called Time After Time. Yep. Um, this was the the Jack the Ripper, H.G. Wells, time travel uh, story. Right. Which H.G. Very, Wells travels back in time to rescue whales from Jack the Ripper. Yes. So what did you think of Time After Time? It's, uh, it's extremely dated. It's unfortunate, sort of a problem of traveling to present day with a time machine. You almost invariably end up making it more dated by pretending that the present day is somehow exotic. And then you realize that it's actually uh, rather mundane, and all of the the changes that have occurred since then uh, make that moment in history look extremely specific to that one moment. I guess so. Um, you know, I can forgive that because, I mean, I guess I've seen enough um, movies from the time period and, and whatever that I I um, know how things were back in the late 70s. Uh, but uh, on the whole, I, I thought it was a, a really good movie. Um, I guess it didn't hold up as much for me this time around as it did the first time around. Uh, but I, I do still like it quite a bit. I think it's a lot of fun. Time after time, it's less good. Than the last time? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. But um, I, I, I do still enjoy it, um, and, and I am still fascinated by the Star Trek Four similarities. In 1982, uh, Meyer released his second movie, which uh, was a gig that he got, I think, based on the success of Time After Time, and that was uh, Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. I've or, seen that. Or Star Trek The Wrath of Khan, as it was originally entitled. Star Trek Into The Wrath of Khan. What did you think about The Wrath of Khan? Um, it's easily the best Star Trek movie. And it's one of the best movies ever made. I don't know exactly how many deep it would be, but maybe not top 10, but top 30? For sure. Yeah, I, I agree that it's an excellent movie. Um, one of the best ever made, sure. Um, I'd, I would put it at number 3 in my uh, Star Trek uh, list. But yeah, I do think that it's it's an excellent movie uh, for all the reasons that everyone else does. I think it is really interesting that it was made by a guy who um, hadn't 
really even watched Star Trek very much, uh, let alone been a fan. But I think that's also what the franchise needed at the time. I mean, that's essentially his particular weird superpower, his ability to understand a body of work and work within it without being disruptive, but somehow also able to more clearly define it and, and, and better exemplify its characteristics and merits. Yeah, you know, his love for Sherlock Holmes, I think it uh, leads to his respect for uh, pre-existing continuities and, you know, that, that whole thing. So even though he is not a fan of of Star Trek, um, I, I think that he appreciates Star Trek fandom, and and knows that it's important to be true to what has come before. A year later, 1983, he uh, made a movie for television called The Day After, mm-hmm. which is the most watched television movie of all time, and always will be. It is about uh, what happens after the bombs are dropped in a nuclear war is that why they called it that i think the day after the bombs are dropped in the nuclear war Mm -hmm. it is a long title but now it makes sense well what did you think of the day after um you know it it's it's a it's a it's surprisingly good considering it's a tv movie at a certain point the uh the narrative becomes extremely tight and uh and focused and and really well paced uh the first 40 minutes or so are not they're very sort of TV movie pacing. And then it gets really good once everything turns bad. And uh, and as things get worse, the movie becomes very well everythinged. Edited, shot, performed. It all, it all hums very well. I think that's kind of the nature of the story. You know, I mean, you've got to do that sort of cliche stuff at the beginning in order to... Uh, really uh, make the end as impactful as possible. Um, I mean, to me, that's like Emmerich school, you know, like start the movie by showing everybody, all these little people show their lives and how they're normal, relatable people. You know, like I know that they're, I know that I know they're normal people. I don't, I don't assume that because he's in a movie that in addition to being a guy who works at the docks, he's also a spy. So why do you need to tell me that he's a normal guy? Why do you need to why do you need to show me like ten minutes of him interacting with his kids to inform that he has kids? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very clunky, and uh, I I would like it if people stopped bothering with that nonsense. Well, you know, I mean, it, it depends. It's I mean, a, a lot of that. There's so many characters and everything that uh, I, I think that <clears throat> you know the, the obvious goal is to is to build them up as much as possible, make them as fully fleshed out as you can. I mean, you hear this type of thing in when in regards to horror movies all the time. Like, mm-hmm. we spend, you know, an hour on the characters so that when they start dying, you really care about them. There's a significant difference in that in the, there you're trying to create, you know, fully fleshed out characters that are real people. Whereas the day after, it's really more stereotypical character types. Like, there's the doctor. There's there's the boyfriend, there's the daughter, there's the the husband and the wife, and they're not unique. They're not like significantly distinct from those stereotypical aspects of of those characters. So you don't really need an introduction to all of them. And it would actually make a great deal more sense if you focused on just one group of those, and had the various interactions that occur later 
occur as they would. People you never met before suddenly bump into during the end of the world. That would make sense. I mean, that'd be one way to go about it. You know, this is another way. I don't think that, you know, one way is necessarily more effective, you know, inherently than another. I, I, I do. Okay. Well, I, I did like the day after quite a bit. Um, I, I was actually kind of surprised, like you were saying, that this is a TV movie. It seems like something that, uh, I mean, I guess they got away with it in that it was an important topic at the time, and people were willing it's to accept things. It's still an important things. topic. Well, sure. But it, it does feel like something that you um, wouldn't normally see on network television. It You know, I could see, like, HBO these days doing something like that. But uh, I can't imagine it showing up on ABC, so you got to give them credit for that. And, uh, you know, on the whole, I think it, it, it uh, plays to uh, television strengths in that it, it, you know, focuses on people and doesn't have, you know, outrageous uh, effects-driven plots or anything like that. It's just a very simple story um, about the end of the world, and I, I thought it was really effective. It scared me. Well, two years later, uh, Meyer returned to the big screen uh, with Volunteers, starring Tom Hanks, which is a comedy um, about a a spoiled rich kid who goes to Southeast Asia to build a bridge for the Peace Corps, and in the process realizes that maybe he's not helping out the people who he thinks he's helping out, but actually... uh, Helping out other people who probably shouldn't be helped out. Well, I mean, there's a like the the aspect of the story that you allude to the idea that he's helping other people. I mean, there's there's the two parties that are both in competition for each with each other, but they both greatly desire the bridge because the, the the criminal guys they want to move drugs, and that would greatly help them with transportation costs, and the uh, communist expansionists would like the bridge so that they could expand communism and and the the reaction to to both sides is essentially oh no that would be bad but the entire movie is sort of like it's sort of focused on this one guy and his contribution his feeling of of trying to help because he's never done it before uh that in a way makes it less awkward that no resolution would actually be particularly good it's more or less a situation where by the time you're seeing these characters, the wheels are already far too well in motion to stop something from happening. So his involvement really doesn't improve the situation or make it worse in any way. Well, but it's, a, it's told from his perspective. It's about his personal journey more than anything yeah and his personal journey is um he he goes from not really caring about um, how other people live or feel to um not wanting to mess with how other people live or feel he becomes uh less self-centered he he realizes not not really he still doesn't really care in in any in any real way he doesn't want to he doesn't embrace these this other culture. He 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 starts changing them, and he doesn't even realize that he's doing it. And he says, like you know, we're not here to change them. But that's exactly what he's doing the whole time. Well, but I mean, you. I'm not even just thinking about you know his reaction to you know 
the uh, the indigenous population, but also uh, his reaction to the love interest and the friend. And sure, the they use they use a, a a human proxy for for his relation to the rest of the world. Yeah, and it stops there. And like it, if it was just a human proxy for his attachment to the rest of the world, that would be fine. But like Neo, his attachment to that one individual does not expand outwardly to include everyone else. It really does stop there. Well, that could be. I mean, but I guess you've also got to figure that they're telling a, a crazy little comedy, and comedies, you know, tend to uh, be short. I mean, you know, people always say a comedy shouldn't be more than you know ninety minutes or whatever. Um, You're saying that that the reason that it doesn't show these other changes because it was too involved for the time. I'm trying to say that, uh, you know, you need to use a certain level of shorthand in order to get your point across as a filmmaker. And I think that when, when you rely on a shorthand that is not logically rigorous, you end up with a movie that seems to be saying, screw it. I don't know. I mean, I definitely understood what the uh, the the you know themes in the movie were. I, I think the that, intention doesn't matter. I, I mean, what matters that it, is that the, is that the intention isn't accomplished by the mechanics at play. Well, I would disagree. I would say that it successfully conveyed its its uh, its point. I didn't like the movie. I, I I didn't think it was very good. I thought it was very uneven, um, especially in terms of the comedy, um, which I didn't think was very funny. And uh, on the whole, it's not a good movie. Three years later, he got another shot at directing, this time a much different movie, one for Merchant Ivory, and that was The Deceivers, starring Pierce Brosnan as a uh, British officer who uh, is in India and uh, tries to uncover a... uh, He's He's trying to infiltrate a criminal organization... In order to prove that they, one, exist, mm-hmm. and two, are criminals. Yeah. And so he goes undercover and uh, uh, it joins uh, the Tuggy cult. Yep. Which is um, a group of thieves and murderers. You've seen Temple of Doom. You know what the Tuggy cult yeah. is. And uh, hijinks ensue. This movie, I thought, was interesting in that it was... Um, Visually, uh, much more uh, ambitious than most of of Meyer's movies. Although I, I thought that the photography on the whole, like the lighting and stuff, was pretty bad. But like his camera movement and everything was was a lot more aggressive. Uh, and Pierce Brosnan was, you know, good in it and everything. But on the whole, I, I did not find the story to be all that compelling. Yeah, I think that's nuts. Um, I think I, this is definitely my favorite of Nicholas Meyer's non-Star Trek mo- movies. And and it's because it's just weird. It's just super weird. Uh, like, like 20 or so minutes into the movie, I realized that it was a guy goes undercover into a, the mob story. And like his his loyalty gets questioned, and he doesn't know which person he really is. That story in that context was 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 very interesting. I was I was very into the idea of this this radical departure for that genre, and I would really love it if somebody would recognize that it's that genre. And like if it was in if it was in like a row of undercover cop movies, I would I would really like that because it is an undercover cop movie. Yeah, for sure. 
and by by putting this kind of story into this context it made the story work better because i've seen the undercover cop goes into the mob story so many times that i know all the beats before the first frame rolls so him being in the thuggy cult and and like the weird sort of almost supernatural qualities that was very interesting yeah i mean i always like it when movies do that and uh on on the whole i um agree with what you're saying about uh that type of uh filmmaking with this particular scenario i don't think that it works well uh because um i think that the the story that they're telling is not very interesting but um well next movie uh which Meyer directed came another 3 years later and this was 1991 September 1991 and that was Company Business starring Gene Hackman and Mikhail Baryshnikov about two spies uh at the end of the Cold War after sort of after the Cold War yeah uh, who um must team up in order to survive. They've torn down the wall, but they haven't exported all the bricks everywhere. Yeah. They don't know where to put most of them because they're really heavy bricks. Yeah. So um, what did you think about company business? I was into it. I was into it for, for a big chunk of the time. And then um, and then I realized that it wasn't going to do anything particularly interesting. That um, the obvious like assumption that... The, the the particular spy game that they were involved in was kind of the expected mystery. The the particular crime was sort of obvious. It seemed so obvious that I discounted it, and then when it turned out to be that, I was kind of like, oh, I guess that's okay. And then um, and then it ended when I while I was blinking. Yeah. And uh, and and I thought, wow, that was really weird. There was no conclusion. Yeah, structurally it might have some problems. Uh, I think on the whole, um, it is a pretty good movie. It's not uh, a great movie or anything like that, but uh, you know, it's decent. Um, I, I found it uh, to be rather compelling throughout as sort of a mindless uh, suspense thriller type of thing. I can see what he was going for in terms of you know, kind of like a, a message. Uh, mm-hmm. I think ultimately it didn't really say all that much, uh, and he was able to uh, tackle that that subject uh, uh, much more thoroughly with his next movie, Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country, yeah. which came out uh, a couple months later, which we'll talk about in a second. But yeah, I mean, on the whole, I thought that this movie was very well crafted. The ending is weird. Um, I think that he was trying something kind of bold with it, and ultimately it didn't work. Well, there are a lot of things about it that I that I I'm, I'm very much in favor of. I really like the, I think I think that the the, the context of, of like the end of the Cold War it's a very interesting time because it's one of those transitional periods where you've got so many loose ends, you've sort of got um, the the components to do stories set afterwards and set beforehands. So you've got the two worlds and you can sort of move throughout those two sort of like story frameworks and uh, whatever is necessary. And and the story is essentially kind of about how things stay the same, 
how things become uh, how, how like how how an institution becomes sort of self sustaining and uh, and the necessary evil that you commit one day uh, might require you to just keep doing it so the that that's an interesting thing and it isn't helped by the the spy movie trappings it isn't helped by gene hackman being an old spy coming in out of the cold it isn't helped by the the prisoner transfer in the underground tunnel it, it like those things just get in the way it's it's really about the kgb and the cia collaborating to keep themselves both in business yeah that's that's the story and in a way i think it would have benefited much better from not having the two spies on the run story which is where the story like starts and ends and everything that's happening elsewhere is more interesting than these two guys on the run because their got their two guys on the run story is not as funny as if it was uh, richard pryor and gene wilder and it's not as 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 action packed as if it was Will Smith and Martin Lawrence, it's basically kind of everything cut in half, and almost everything else in the story is more interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I I see what you're saying. Uh, I think that you know you need to find a way to to do that story, and and he his idea was to tell it you know through these people's eyes. Which uh, I, I think is is a perfectly uh, reasonable thing to 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 try for, but I think you know the problem that it runs into is that you know the, the focus becomes them and it uh, sort of loses loses its message in in an attempt to tell their story as 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 well as it possibly can. Yeah. But um, on the whole, I did like it. I know that that you know Meyer thinks it's his worst movie, and I don't agree with that at all. Um, but uh, I can see how he would be disappointed in the in the finished product. Two months later, another Meyer movie was released, and that was Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country. I've heard of that movie. Very similar to Company Business in terms of its uh, themes. Uh, about the end of the Cold War and everything, and, and the idea of these Cold Warriors no longer having a place in the world. So what are your thoughts on Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country? I think it has lots of far-reaching implications, much farther than a, an extremely in-depth analysis of the Cold War. Okay. Extremely in-depth analysis of the Cold War will take you so far. Star Trek VI will take you farther, because it's about things that are more abstract Sure. Than stuff that occurred. Yeah, it's got a lot of stuff going on. Right. So it's it's a very good movie about a whole bunch of things. In the way that Star Trek Two is about a whole bunch of things. People love to to reduce things down to a, like a, a nub, and there are plenty of contexts in which that's totally appropriate. Um, Nicholas Meyer Star Trek movies are not those. It's almost impossible to reduce them down to a thing. It's about so many different things, and it's expertly put together. And the only reason Star Trek 2 is slightly better than Star Trek 6 is because Star Trek 6 is slightly burdened by being the last film in the original cast series. Yeah, I don't see how that's a burden, and I also don't see uh, Star Trek It's a burden. 2 it's a burden towards the end when, when Scotty shoots the assassin, six. No, and, they, and they pull the mask well. off of the guy, mm-hmm. and they all stand up on the stage. 
That's kind of ridiculous. It's, it's perfectly fine and, and a perfectly reasonable conclusion to to this franchise, which has existed for, at that point, 25 years. Um, yeah, Star Trek VI is my favorite Meyer movie, and um, it's also one of my favorite uh, Star Trek anythings of, of all time. I, I do think that it's better than Wrath of Khan, um, because I think that, well, I think a big part of that has to do with the fact that, uh, you know, Meyer had a good uh, nine years to uh, hone his craft. And I think that what we're seeing is, you know, all these other movies that he did in between Star Trek Two and Star Trek Six were him, you know, figuring out how to be a director. And if you look at Star Trek Six, it's a much more um, polished movie in pretty much every respect. Star Trek so, Six is like a is like a perfectly well made pocket watch, and Star Trek Two, like you could you could argue, and I would be perfectly okay with it, that it's like a grandfather clock, but it also tells you the future. I mean, I'm not going to argue, you know, the quality of Star Trek Two. I'm I'm just saying that, uh, you know, I prefer Star Trek Six. Star Trek Six says more to me, um, and and I'm also. Uh, more impressed by its craftsmanship. After that, he took a break, and um, it was eight years until he made what at this point is his final movie, and that's Vendetta, which yeah. was a, a return to television, this time HBO, to tell the story of the uh, largest lynching in American history about uh, some Italian immigrants in New Orleans in the 1890s, I believe, who uh, basically um, had their business stolen from them by some uh, rich American businessmen. Uh, One who, of them was played by Christopher Walken. Yeah. Who's the most Italian actor <laughs> in Hollywood right now. And he, uh, you know, basically set them up to take the fall so that he could take over their businesses. Uh, and and everyone was completely okay with it. There's, I mean, like there's more at play there, but it's also kind of pointlessly more. Okay. It's like a lot of different um, chess pieces being moved around, mm-hmm. um, but uh, they're being used by like a child, um, so they're hopping over each other because they don't know how to play, play checkers. Yeah, I mean, I disagree with that. I mean, I can see how, in some ways, it's uh, the you know one of the. Uh, lesser Meyer works because it doesn't have, you know, the complexities of some of his movies. But I also think that, you know, again, like Star Trek VI, he, he's comfortable enough that he knows how to tell a story, you know, relatively well. Um, I wish he would have uh, sort of been a bit more um, ambitious in terms of his, you know, visual storytelling here. Or, but I think he was kind of uh, scared by the material like by being like sort of reverential to the material. I think that's a significant, very huge problem in this movie mm-hmm. because the there's there's, a, there's an aspect to um, uh, dealing with a historical event, especially a tragic event or an event that deals with bigotry of some kind. There's always this 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 urge to be reverent. There's an urge to be extremely respectful, and if you're overly respectful, then you end up making the victims of the bigotry perfect. And the perpetrators of the bigotry, um, uh, demons. Yeah. And and by doing that, and that is what he did here. Unfortunately, he did essentially uh, submit to all of the sort of like uh, internal psychological pressures of dealing with something serious. Mm-hmm. And that is hugely crippling. 
because it makes the protagonist – and I said this in the episode – it makes the protagonist look like a cartoon. But um, I think at the same time, the story which he's telling is is a really interesting one. And for that reason, I would recommend watching this movie. I don't recommend watching this movie. And I find it very sad that he thinks it's his best movie. I think that's a that's really not a good thing. So uh, that, that was it for uh, Nicholas Meyer's career. Uh, eight movies over the span of 20 years. Um, any uh, final thoughts on Nicholas Meyer as a director? On the Vendetta episode, we talked about how he hasn't made a movie since Vendetta. And uh, I, I I said, and I'll re- reiterate that here, that uh, I think it's bad when you say that your favorite movie of your own is the one that is the least impressive. Uh, his other movies, you know, better or worse, you know, doesn't matter so much. They're They're not particularly... I mean, the the bad ones aren't particularly, you know, astonishing, but they're more impressive in other ways. Vendetta feels um, almost amateurish by comparison to his other work. And that, I imagine, if I was running a studio and I heard Nicholas Meyer say that his favorite movie of his own work was Vendetta, I would be hesitant to greenlight a project. Because that sounds like something a crazy person would say. Okay, well, I... Uh on the whole, I'm very impressed with Meyer's career as a director. I think that he's uh, one of the, the greats and one of the uh, great overlooked directors. Um, I think a lot of people sort of um, are just completely unaware of what it is that he's done outside of Star Trek. Star Trek fans don't pay attention to what's going on outside of Star Trek. And um, fans of his other movies, I think, uh, aren't really uh, the type of people who would normally watch star trek movies so he kind of gets uh he kind of falls through the cracks you know i think that he's uh a one hit wonder to many people but the one hit is different for everyone else right Um, everybody sees him as a one hit wonder but none of those people can agree on what that hit is right and in, in in the reality of the situation is you know he's made a career of one hits and if you look at what a career of one hits are, it's a pretty solid career, you know? He only had one hit comedy. Yeah. One hit action movie. Right. One hit thriller. Yeah. One hit merchant diary crazy shit. Exactly. That's how I see Meyer's career. You know, when, once you, you take a look at all of his movies on the whole, you see that he is quite a great filmmaker. And I really wish that someone would say, yes, Nicholas Meyer. Here's some money. Go make another movie. And he I think apparently that that would... has a movie coming out in 2014 uh, called uh, Love Affair. Yeah. Um, I, I really hope that it gets made. And apparently it's being shot in Chicago. I, I think that the only thing that needs to happen <clears throat> for Nicholas Meyer to be recognized as a very amazing filmmaker is for people to say, Star Trek is just fine. There's nothing weird about it. It's normal now. You're not a weirdo who made two Star Trek movies. You just worked in that Star Trek series. All right. Well, that's the end of Nicholas Meyer as a director. Uh, I think that's pretty much it for Nicholas Meyer on this show for the time being. I can't really think of anything else that we can uh, cover with him. 
So uh, it's been it's been great to, to look at this guy's career, both as a, as a director and an author. As always, you can find us on Twitter at ComTrackStars, or you can email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com, or you can find our other show on our website, CommentaryTrackStars.com. Mm-hmm.